Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Loss is devastating and goodness knows the pandemic has bombarded many of us with loss and losses that we could not have imagined. My guest today is Kathleen Blair, who is a grief and loss coach, but that's not where she began her employment journey. Kathleen started her career as an intern at Xerox Corporation, where she succeeded in sales in spite of being the only woman on her sales team. She was promoted three times in her five years with Xerox and was then recruited by Honeywell to sell computers to the automobile industry, something that was unheard of at the time, women selling computers to the automobile industry. Now, that may not seem unusual to you now, this is the 21st century, but When Kathleen started out, that was a big deal. In other words, Kathleen is a trailblazer. Now, she laughs at the time she entered the conference room of the Ford Motor Company because she was giving a presentation to Ford executives. And as she walked into the room, the first thing they asked her was if she could get their coffee. They gave her their coffee order. And again, that may sound unusual to those listening now, but when Kathleen started out, that was commonplace, believe me. So from copiers to computers to recruiting to home design, at each stage and phase of her career, Kathleen excelled. And then her world took a nosedive when she lost her husband, her company, and so much more. Now, with these setbacks, Kathleen learned to use all of her talents and relied on her strong faith to create a new life for herself, a new beginning. As she journeyed through grief, and unfortunately, she had to do it more than once, she inspired so many others who, because of the way she handled her grief, they asked her, for help. So in 2012, Kathleen became certified as a grief and loss coach. And today she writes 
Uh, she contributed to a book called, what is it? Lemonade, the Lemonade Stand? Yeah, Lemonade Stand 2. Lemonade Stand 2. She writes courses and she holds workshops and retreats. Kathleen has been able to use her talents and her passion to help others and redirect their focus from hopeless to hopeful. You know, I'm so happy that you had time to be with us today because I think in the time of this pandemic, there's so much you can share that will be helpful to listeners. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me on, Beverly. Now, Kathleen, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you majored in when you went to school, just to get a background so we can see how you started out one way and maybe segued into another direction. Exactly. And that's really what has happened to me. I was uh, I'm originally from Michigan and during my years at Honeywell, I discovered Arizona. So about 30 some years ago, I decided to get away from the cold and move out here, thinking, you know, I would continue in, in uh, computers because my background was in business. I majored that in school with that in design. So I, I always enjoyed fashion design and interior design. I kind of was, my design background kind of took a turn when I met my husband and he was in the custom home business. I took my design business with him into creating custom homes. And that was great. We did that for 13 years. And unfortunately, he got a brain tumor, a glioma blastoma, I believe it's called correctly. And my life changed. I ended up having to close the business, take care of him. He was given a four to six months to live, but we changed his diet. And with much prayer, he was able to, um, was told he couldn't have surgery because it was in a place that was really too fragile. And through the slowing growth of the tumor, he did end up having surgery. But unfortunately, the surgery caused a stroke and um, he had uh, brain his brain surgery turned into a major double surgery because he had bleeding on the brain. And oh. that just changed everything. So for 18 months, he was an invalid. He was paralyzed on the right side and unable to speak. And my whole journey through my grief process and caregiving days with him are outlined in that chapter in the book that came out this year. And, and really... You know, it, it was a time for me to be there for him, you know, having he was a very strong man and he really took care of his family. But this was my turn to take care of him. Now, the book again is Lemonade Stand 2. Yes, the Lemonade Stand 2. It's a bestseller on Amazon. Wonderful. You know, it, it's about 14, 15 chapters of people who have taken lemons in their life and made lemonade. And they're all different types of journeys that people have had that, you know, unfortunately, life does have lemons, but it's also encouraging for people to see that you can get through them. And they do make you stronger. And it does, and they do help you sometimes take a turn in another direction that might be more the person that you're here for. 
No, you know, it sounds like it's very, they're very inspirational stories. And a lot of times people just need, they need to know that they can make it. If they read that someone else, whether it's a similar situation or not, but someone else has overcome adversity, pain, suffering, grief, and come out on the other side. We need to hear and read stories like that. Exactly. So many times when you're going through a loss, you have a tendency to pull back. I know when my husband passed away, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't, I mean, when I woke up in the morning, the first thing I would realize is it wasn't a bad dream. It was reality. And what am I going to do? My husband and I were together 24-7. So we did everything together. We were each other's best friends. And, you know, we had our hobbies, our sports. We did everything together. And losing him, I lost everything. I lost my, you know, my spouse. I lost my business, my tennis partner. I lost you know, my companion, and we did so many things together. Where do you go from that after 17 years of having that in your life? Well, how did you turn the corner to realize that you hadn't lost everything? Well, it was, you know, I wasn't a kid, and I realized it was starting over again. I did that when you get out of school, you had different jobs, and it was a lot of soul searching and prayer and, and just realizing that you know, I had to make a new life for myself. It was a new norm. You don't forget, but you have to move on. And it was just a process that I did where I, you know, this is one of the things I do within my business, Hope Renewed, is I take people through the process of what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What are your gifts and talents? And what's your degree in? And is this something that you want to pursue? So many people get degrees and things, and then years later, they find out that doesn't excite them anymore. So I just basically kept coming back to the same thing. I'm a nurturer. I'm a supporter. I'm a teacher. I'm a speaker. These are the things I excel in. I'm a writer. And it all came together. And it didn't come overnight together. (laughs) It took time. I started leading uh, grief classes in 2007, two years after my husband, about a year and a half after my husband died. And I lost five loved ones in eight years. So the grieving process got to be a little too familiar to me. And each time, you know, you, you seem to, you understand it. You know what to expect. This year, I lost my brother to COVID. So each loss is different and each one, the grief journey is different, but I knew the stages and I knew I would be sad. And, you know, losing a a brother who lives miles away from you is a lot different than losing your husband. The one that hurt me the most, I think, was losing my mom because she was the one who knew me from day one, right? right? She even knew me before I was born. So we were best of friends and we had... I mean, I could share anything with her and she knew me and she knew my journey. So there was such a history with her that people that you know, and maybe Mary and are, are friends of yours and they pass, you don't know their journey from day one. So mom, that, you know, losing your parents is really a different type of grief. So Yes, I got really familiar with it, and I was asked to write a course 
for people who maybe are not spiritual, but are going through the symptoms of grieving and they don't understand it and need someone to, to walk beside them. So I, that's how my 12-week course came about. Well, now from sales to grief and loss coach, <laughs> that's not an expected transition. Your personal loss triggered your interest in coaching. Was there anything else that propelled you toward grief and loss co- coaching? Well, you know, it um, my faith, my strong faith, because I would do Bible studies and I would co- coach people and many people were going through divorces and I would be beside them. And, you know, that's a death of a marriage. It was a grieving process. I was a recruiter. And I was giving workshops on interviewing skills. I wrote a manual on interviewing skills and how to write resumes and things like that. I worked with Arizona State University on their graduate students and helped them prepare for when corporations came into the campus and interviewed for positions. And so that was just a natural thing, even though back then we didn't call it coaching, I would give workshops and uh, have one-to-one sessions with people. And so I see I've been prepared for this all along with a little bit here and a little bit there. And I think my sales is what's really prepared me for being in front of people, professionally, you know, able to speak with people, to give lectures or talks to groups of individuals, as well as, you know, seniors who are transitioning from their homes of 30, 40 years, and then they're they're going into an apartment, senior living, or they're going into a room in a facility. And, you know, they're realizing that their journey is not many years ahead of them. And there's a grieving process that they're leaving everything that they knew, all those memories of bringing up their family. And so many people don't realize that, you know, for the family, a lot of times it's just one more checkoff, you know, from their list of things to do is get mom and dad, you know, situated in a home. And then they leave and mom and dad are looking at walls with a bunch of strangers they don't know and a bunch of memories that, you know, so I work with seniors and some realtors in town that actually place seniors and you know, we, they try to pick out things that they might want to take as memories and furniture to put in their rooms and things like that to make the transition easier. You know, a friend of mine, and I haven't talked to her in a while, she started a business. Apparently, it's a franchise business where they help people who want to downsize after their kids are grown and there's an empty nest how to downsize and transition into, I guess, a more contained living space. And there's a cottage business that's popped up in that regard. There's a definite need for it. And, you know, now that I think about it, maybe I'll call her and see if she's available to be interviewed because she was at odds about what to do after her sons went to college and they were out. She didn't want to stay in the business she was in. And she that was the new one she decided to pursue. And to your point, you're absolutely right. There's so many people, baby boomers and others, transitioning into different phases of life. 
and they need less. We need less than we have. It's amazing what we accumulate. It is. I'm still looking for my sandals from two years ago. <laughs> I haven't been able to find my sandals. We're in the garage, and with COVID, I've got more toilet paper and paper towels and napkins and tissues in the garage that I can't get to the boxes where I think my sandals are. But I digress. Now, tell me this. Was there a time during your grieving process that you had an epiphany and you knew exactly what to do? Or was there a process that you went through? It's a process. It was a journey. It wasn't like, you know, the light bulb went out off and I said, that's what I'm going to do. It was a journey. And then as people came into my life based on the need that they had, I found that, you know, this was, I was leaning toward this type of coaching. And now I do more mindset coaching with people who have losses, people that have lost a job. First of all, we've got to build them back up and recognize all their skills and what they do well so that they're ready to interview well and believe in themselves and believe in their talents. Because just because you lost a job doesn't mean you're not capable of doing a great job for somebody else. You know, a career is a roller coaster. There's a lot of things we're not in control of. I've been fired. I've been laid off. I mean, I've gone the gamut. I've lost my job or basically had to close my business. And even many people start jobs and companies. And because of one reason or another, it doesn't make it. And they feel like a failure. Well, they're not a failure. And if you look at some of the greatest success stories of businessmen who have started and lost so many businesses, the majority of them, you know, if they're really successful men, they will try again. They will get up. They will do what they know they can do. And they rebuild the, a new business for themselves. Well, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that even a job search can make people doubt themselves when they don't get responses to numerous resumes that they've submitted. They don't get telephone calls when they've called people in pursuit of feedback about the interview or a decision about their application. And when that doesn't happen, and it's not unusual that it doesn't happen, people begin to feel that inadequate, that they're not qualified or they're not good enough. And, you know, one of the things I caution people in my book, Your uh, GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job, don't let anyone marginalize you. You have to believe that if you do the work, if you've put in the work and you've applied for jobs that you're qualified for, and there's nothing in your background that's a distraction or a negative, that you eventually will hear from someone. You looking for a job is important to you, but interviewing you for the job that's important to you may not be as important to that recruiter. There exactly. may be more pressing need to get to hire somebody for another job. And it really doesn't have to do anything to do with your capability or your qualifications. It's just a matter of priorities. That's right. But I tell you, know, how would you yeah. know? I was just going to interject that basically I tell 
applicants, you know, getting a job is your number one or two priority. The people that are interviewing you might be number 15 or 17 on their list of things that they have to do. So, yeah. It's not important to others. No. Looking for a job and you're, especially if you have a family and your family's depending on you, it becomes so, your need is intense. Yes. But it's not that way for recruiters. It's not that way for recruiters. So I start my book by telling people that they should manage their expectations and train like an Olympian. You know, when you look for a job, you need to prepare yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally because it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. So if you're not prepared, it can be mentally debilitating. It really can. And financially, I know it can really put a burden on somebody financially. They tell you to have three to six months income in case you lose your job or some type of catastrophe or something happens. But sometimes you don't find a job in three to six months. Exactly. And then what do you do? I mean, then it really becomes, that's like all you... You're obsessed that you have to get a new job. You get a new stream of income. And a lot of times, you know, people, I recommend, you know, get any job just to get money coming in. It's just temporary. It's a stream of income. And sometimes it's a really good idea, even now when you're employed, to have another stream of income coming in. Oh, it's it's almost essential. You never know when that one job is going to disappear. Right. Very true. And it's always good to have a plan that what if something happened where I'm at right now, if this company, for whatever reason, folded or they did away with my position, where would I go? Don't wait until it happens. Exactly. Start making making connections. And with LinkedIn, it's a great opportunity to start conversations with people and just putting yourself out there. Just to say, you know, interested in your company and, you know, what, what it has to do and what positions you offer and just find out who's working in companies you might want to work into eventually. And, you know, you really need to have like a career path and a goal. Where do you see yourself in three years? Where do you see yourself in five years? You know, if you're in a job and you've gone all the way up and you don't see it, well, you better start looking for opportunities in other companies and corporations. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, people who are looking for work, who are unemployed and then find a job, when they get the job, it's like they breathe a sigh of relief, like they're saved, but they aren't because you really still have to keep, you know, multiple income streams or keep abreast of what's going on in the industry because you have a job today, but the job could be gone next month. If they decide to sell your company, your job could be gone like that. So you have to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. And then Um, people are just blindsided. Exactly. And it's, it's, it is so tragic when people don't see it coming. And you know, quite frankly, many times the signs are there. They just weren't paying attention. I, you know, and, and like I said, it's heartbreaking, but 
hopefully hearing this, you know, this podcast will help people think differently about how they continue on their employment journey. Because there are things that they can, they can be proactive. They can proactively assume responsibility, more responsibility for certain aspects of their employment journey. And they, I think, will achieve more favorable results. I agree. You really can't get so comfortable in your job that you don't, you're just tunnel vision. You know, that's why you see successful people when they go and, and they network. They play golf with people that aren't maybe accountants and attorneys or people that maybe are in different companies that have similar jobs that they're doing. But they stay in touch to see what's going on with what's happening in the corporate world in their community, as well as, you know, happening in different companies with their friends. You know, things are bad and you have a friend in a company you might be also the one that tells them, you know, we've got some openings coming up or have you started looking and, you know, talking to people and you've got to stay connected. You you know, you just never know when that person you met at a networking event or at a fundraiser might be someone who's be the person that introduces you to your next career. You're absolutely right. It is amazing. And as important and pervasive as social media is, live, in-person, face-to-face networking is as important, if not more important, because you can be judged on how you look, dress, sound, present yourself. Otherwise, you can make or break the deal as soon as you step forward and speak. And if you deliver your message in the right way, so that it's you come across not only as personable, but intelligent, you communicate well, you have the ability to think and speak and co and cohesively and coherently, then you know, you can impress someone who and make them think, you know, I may be able to help him, I may be able to help her. Exactly. And and you know, a lot of people do go jump on networking meetings or go and say that they're in the process of looking for a new position and they tell their skills and stuff. I think that's great because you're, you have 30 seconds to a minute to really give a pitch who you are and what you're looking for. And there's the key. What are you looking for? When you're looking for a job, you really got to narrow it down to what you're looking for, what are your skill set and your experience and how it will fit into a position. So now right and what you can what you can contribute. Yes. You know it's like it I try to create win wins. Yes. You know, so it's not all about what you want. What can you do for who you're talking right. to, the company that you're talking to. So it's a win win. It's not all about you. This is how I can contribute. This is my skill set. This can contribute in this way. And you have to do research. You have to research the company. How else will you know what they need? Exactly. And also, you need to give examples how you helped your last company or the companies that you worked for before. What was it that, you know, makes you different? The whole thing is you have to stand out from your competition. 
And there's yes. a lot of competition out there right now. My heart goes out to people that are, are searching for jobs and they don't feel that their application online is ever getting seen. If you know there's a position and you really want it, I'll give you a tip now that's really useful is send a Federal Express letter to human resource or the person that is in that position. So you have to get their annual report. Find out who the key person is in that field that you want to go in the department and send them a personal letter with your resume attached to why you would be a perfect candidate for the position that is available that you know about. I'll tell you, if he doesn't read it, he's going to hand it to human resources and he might even say, book an interview with this person. But at least your resume's been read, your letter's been read and, and your resume's been seen. You do it online, chances are it doesn't get past the keyword search. No, you're right. I, that's a, that's really an excellent tip. And the annual report may even be online, but at the very least, you can go on the company's website and get a list of the corporate officers. Yes. And also on LinkedIn, it's amazing how many people know people that I know that I would never dream they when I see that, oh my gosh, how do they know them? You know, so you find somebody in that company and you might find somebody that you went to school with that knows that person and you might ask them for an introduction and then just say, hey, I hear that there's a position open in your company I'm interested in. How can I get to this person? Well, let me give you an example. Just recently, I was talking to someone that I've, I've known for years. I haven't seen him in years. But we know each other, you know, we're familiar with each other. And a friend of mine recommended that I call him. And I did. And I told him about my new book. And I told him about something that I was trying to do. But I didn't know anyone at the university I was trying to reach out to. And he said, I told him what the university was. He says, oh, I can help with that. And I said, really? And he said, yes. (laughs) <laughs> my niece is a dean oh. there. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, no, I can help you awesome. with that. So, you know, you have to ask, you have to tell people what you're trying to do, what you want to do. Ask them if you can help. You know, one of the most compelling parts of my book is the last few pages. This former NFL football player that I met virtually tells a story about how he had just come to the end of his road. He'd been cut by one team. He was on his way to New England to try out for the Patriots. He was on an airplane and he was next to him was seated this very prosperous looking man working on a PowerPoint presentation on his laptop. And for some reason, the NFL player, the former NFL player, thought to himself, I guess I have nothing to lose. He looked at the man and asked, will you help me? And the man looked at him and asked him, how can I help you? And you're not going to believe this. That young man is now a vice president of sales for the man's tech company in Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. You know, I'm a talker, but I'm not what one would call warm and fuzzy. So if I when I travel on a plane or a train, I 
shut down because usually I'm so glad to be able to sit down, listen to music or read a magazine that I don't want to talk to anybody. But when I started writing my first book and then my second book, I opened up more and I started talking to people that were sitting next to me in public, you know, conveyances, you know, the subway, the trains, planes, whatever. When you open yourself up, it's amazing the people that you meet. That's true. And that's been one of the most rewarding aspects of this journey. Just getting to realize that there are people out there that have stories to tell, that are willing to listen if you give them tips. Everyone's not receptive to being told what to do. I did a, um, I guess it was a workshop. They were doing a workshop and they had some experts on a site at a local college and the students had done their resumes and they gave them to the experts to critique. So, you know, I, I told the young lady what I thought and she looked at me like I was crazy. She says, no, I'm not making those changes. I like it the way it is. And I thought of myself, and you go with that here. <laughs> I hope it works for you. <laughs> and it might have. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what will work and what won't work. But when someone offers you advice, that's not the response exactly. to have. Even if you're going to ignore it, don't let them know that. Right. You know, because that leaves something in their mind. It leaves a negative in their mind about you, your tone, your delivery. You know, it's like, really? I'm thinking to myself, will you go with that? And uh, next, can I help somebody else? Well, you know, not you brought to mind something that when people are interviewing, you always need to interview as if you want the job. You're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. You're deciding if you want to work there or not. Even if you don't want the job, you don't blow the interview. You always go for the offer. And if you don't want the job, it's still practice. So you always go for the offer. You even say, you know, this might be an excellent position. You know, I look forward to it, but I I hope that I'm being considered as a candidate. And then what happens is that, You never know who might later in your life be in a position. And if you blow an interview, say something bad and leave a bad impression, like you just mentioned, you don't know where that person might be five years from now. That might person might end up being, you know, uh, an executive in a company that you're interviewing for. And they might go by and see you're interviewing and shake their head. You're right. I was working with a client in Manhattan. It was a meeting of the company's executives and a woman walked in and I was there as a consultant to help them work through some issues. And this woman walks in and, you know, she greeted me. I greeted her. It was, she looked at me. She says, I know you. And I'm thinking to myself, I looked at her. I said, yeah, I don't think she does. (laughs) You know, I don't remember her. Says. I saw you on court mm-hmm. TV. And I said, really? I said, do you know how long ago that was? She said, I remember you. You were talking about sexual harassment on court TV. And I said, I was. And she said, I remembered you. I remember Very seeing true. you. You don't know who sees you when. 
Bring your A game. When you step out, you got to bring your A game. Gotta, gotta. If you don't, you may yes. be sorry. You know, as someone said, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. First impressions are critical, but if they're negative, they can be rehabilitated. It just takes exactly. time and effort, but it's always better to put your best foot forward for a first. Now, can you tell people, our listeners, what training you acquired to do what you're doing now? Are you still? Yes. Yes. Supporting or coaching of people who have lost their jobs. Is there special training for that as opposed to training that for uh, grief, uh, you know, a loss of a loved one? Well, having been a recruiter and in the job placement industry in my early career back in the early 90s, I believe. So that gave me the background. And then, you know, helping people. I don't know how many people I've actually interviewed candidates for their job because they weren't good interviewees or interviewers. And so I would go in and help them. So really, that was basically on the job training. My sales background, you know, being trained with these large corporations of Xerox and Honeywell brought me a lot of training. And I became certified as a grief coach from a Christian university lighthouse. So it's a combination of a lot of life skills and job skills just in my journey through life has prepared me for now. It's like everything's kind of come together and it's been good that I've been able to, you know, help people. Well, before we end, is there anything you, you've given great advice to people who are looking for jobs. Is there any one thing you would advise your your grief clients to do as they begin to move through and hopefully get through their grief? Is there one you know, thing? Since we're, you know, talking primarily job loss and things and grieving and stuff like that is not to keep everything bundled up and to not just think, you know, I'll never find a job and, you know, really change your mindset to positive. You know, I will have another job. I have always had another job. I've been in this place before. And if you haven't been in this place before, you will survive. You will find a job. But you really need to have positive affirmations. You need to write down all the wonderful things that there are about you. And if you don't like something about yourself, then take the steps to change it. You know, we only have one life. And if it's, you know, 10 pounds or the way that you talk or the way that, you know, you didn't score well, well, go back to school or, you know, start exercising, you know, try to be the best that you can be. Because when you feel good about yourself, you project it and people pick up on it and people will be mad. What do you call it? Gravitated to you. Yes. So, you know, you want to be the best that you can be. and. Just in the grief processes, don't get stuck there. Have someone to talk to, take courses, read books on it. There's a lot of avenues to help. I'd be happy to talk to anyone that wants to talk. How can they reach you? They can go to hoperenewtoday at gmail.com. And if they text, uh, write me an email and just, I'll be happy to reach out to them and do a 30-minute consultation. That's great. 
So that would be my gift to them. Great. Let me just remind people, just to piggyback on what Kathleen had just said, don't leave the house unless you're pulled together. If you're looking for a job, you cannot afford to leave your home looking bad. You don't know who you might run into. You need to look like you care about yourself, like you're the professional, whatever. You're either a professional plumber, a professional admin, a professional CEO, a professional police officer, whatever it is, you, whatever job you're looking for, you need to look pulled together, neat and clean, hair combed, face washed, nails clean, and clothes unrumpled. Exactly. It may sound like common sense, but I'm going to tell you this, and we'll leave on this note. Unfortunately, common sense is not commonly held. Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time out to just share your experience and your journeys with us. We so appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at Williams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.